in health and in sickness, for rich and for poor, with nat 20s and nat 1s till TPK do us apart. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the TPK cast, the podcast where I, William Waterbrand, discuss my thoughts on the design work that the dungeon master makes. Here on the TPK cast, we uh, I try to help new dungeon masters. Like many other sources of tips and advice, I don't help you running the game, I aim to help you to design your game. Everything from what to focus on when brainstorming, to what to write down when you dungeon master's journal, and lastly, how to handle design questions while running the game. You might have noticed that we didn't have a narrative introduction in this episode. This is because today we're not discussing encounter design. This episode we're discussing an issue that I've been realizing a lot of newbies have. Today, I'm discussing the large-scale objectives, quests, and how to get to places. This will be valuable for anyone running the game of Dungeons & Dragons, and it doesn't matter if you're new or veteran, or if you're running a homebrew or a module. In either way, I'm jumping right into it. There are two sides uh, on this line, none of which are enjoyable. This line is the progression of the game. Hopefully, these ideas will help you walk that line much better than previously. On the first side, you have the railroad. Have you ever played a game where the players felt like they have no choice in where to go? They pick your path that you haven't planned for, and you panic. You try to block the path. Maybe you leave the dungeon, you're trying to leave the dungeon, and whoops, you didn't plan for that to happen, so you lock the door, so you place an ogre outside. This can be okay, but if this happens once, it's not noticeable. If it happens multiple times, the players will feel railroaded and that their choices don't matter. And this is a huge, horrible feeling because why would we play Dungeons and Dragons if our choices don't matter? On the other side, though, we have complete freedom. It might sound great, but it doesn't have to be. You put the players in a forest or a mountain range or a city. You give them nothing. You get the complete sandbox experience. They get there and they have no idea what to do. They talk to a few people, uh, they walk around and they feel unguided. I want to point out that some groups like both Complete Sandbox and some groups enjoy the railroad. It all depends on how you like your game. However, I believe that for the majority of players, the middle of these is a sweet spot. This is the problem. The players must feel free, but they also must feel like they have a grip on what's, of what actions to take. It's really hard for the players to figure out what to do, uh, as their picture of the game is not the same as yours, as it's played in the theater of the mind and you only know what they tell you, and they only know what you tell them. This gives a, a, a hard dynamic where they can't see anything that you don't say, because you have a picture in your head, and you can't describe everything. It's hard to describe, you know, the texture of the gravel, or everything, really. For uh, many times, the players just sit there, if they're a complete sandbox, waiting in an awkward silence for someone to act. <laughs> it sucks. It's awkward for everyone, and we don't like it. So, with no further ado, I'm introducing the solution to this problem, the ACB model. Alright, so, the idea of the ACB model is that you put up points of interest, call them A, B, and C. We put three points of interest. And then you do your normal design work, you design each point of interest. Maybe one is a dungeon, maybe one is a farmer, maybe one is a caravan, whatever. It doesn't matter, it depends on the context of the campaign. But then, you link the points of interests together. Each point has what we call clues that leads to other points of interests. We'll go over this in a, an example I'll, I'll do very soon, but this structure is very easy if you draw it on the map, but it can also be run without a map, which, which makes it very convenient. But I personally recommend you drawing up, if you uh, have a quest in an area, uh, you draw it up on a map and you make each A, B, C, D, E, F, 
etc. Uh, points of interest in a specific location on the map. What this leads to is really that you get a feeling of investigation. And this is really important. Uh, the players, uh, when playing Dungeons and Dragons, their job is really to one, investigate, and two, uh, you know, fight, uh, and three, complete the quests. Um, and investigation really includes puzzling, talking to players, to NPCs, role-playing, it just includes everything. It's exploring a world which they cannot see. But what's the, what, the, what this really leads to is what I call the path concept. So on one side we did have the railroad, and on the other side we have the sandbox. Railroad is not great because you don't get the feeling of freedom, and the sandbox is not great because you feel unguided and helpless. The path is in the middle. It's not a railroad, you're not stuck to the rails, and it's not a sandbox, you don't, like, you have paths. It's the path concept. It's a large road with multiple smaller paths leading off, and the players can pick whichever they want. You get the feeling of freedom, but also the feeling of purpose, and this is really important. Let's talk about design example here. Alright, so, I'll give an example of this ACB model. Say, you go on a quest to kill a troll. So you have point A. A local noble will pay a hefty sum of money for someone to bring him the head of the troll that kidnapped his niece. And he gives a clue to point B, which is the farmland area where the niece was kidnapped. And he'll say that you have to go here and, you know, find the troll. So you go to point B, the farmland area. You find farmers that talk about how the troll lives somewhere up in the woods. And this is a clue to see, which is the forested area up north. However, a traveling knight overhears it and interjects, saying that the farm is stupid and the trolls live up in the mountains, in the caves, which is a clue to D, the mountains. Here the players have an option to either go to the forested area or the mountains. It's freedom, and even if it's artificial freedom, the players are free to do either way. It's just the world how that works. Um, say they go to the forested area, point C. Then you have a planned wolf attack. In this point of interest, there is a wolf encounter, uh, for the first combat encounter of the day. The, the players, after the fight, find troll footsteps that lead into a secret cave system in the mountain. If the players like to go to the mountains, they don't find any tracks. They are, however, caught by goblins, who don't attack instantly, they are kinda uncertain. And if someone can communicate with them, you'll find out that the uh, goblins are actually afraid of people who are larger than them because they have been terrorized by a troll. Which prowls the area. The goblin leader actually wants help with the troll and will let the players go if that, this communication is had. If goblins are killed, however, you can search the area even more. The troll have constructed fall traps in the mountain down into the cave system. So here the goblins give a clue to point C, which is the forested area. Um, where the wolves are, and also the cave system. Or, alternatively, if you do kill the goblins, you will maybe fall or find a way down, which could be very, very fast if you uh, fall into the fall trap, uh, which is a clue, clue to point E, the cave system. So the next point of interest is E, the cave system. A series of caves where a few monsters live. In the deep, though, there is a hermit who's caught in a cage by the troll. And he's saying that I came here to free the noble's niece for the money. And, but I failed because I didn't have the fire poison that I needed to defeat the troll. He says that don't walk north of the cave as the troll lives there. You have to go to the west and look for the fiery blossom. 
and bring it to him. And he'll use this fiery blossom to make the poison that you need. So this is a clue to F, which is the where the fire blossom is, and a clue to avoid the G, which is where the troll is. You go to F, uh, which is the uh, western point of the cave, and there's a comedy counter. There are a group of erratic goblins that are there to kill the troll. They see you, and they will attack, and they will scream that they will kill the troll, but you're, you're, they don't, they're not very clever. Um, you do find the flower after the fight, though. And so lastly, you go to point G, which is the deepest part of the northern part of the cave with the troll and the nieces, and you'll have a boss fight. What is interesting about all this is that it did give your players a road, but it wasn't a railroad. Uh, the players had options to go anywhere they wanted on this map. And I found that a lot of times, if they walk through, say, a forested area, they will ask... Do I see any, you know, footprints, or do I see any clues, or they will look for other paths. And when you have this point system, like this point of interest system, what you'll find is that you will always be able to guide your players to somewhere where it's designed. The a fear that I found that my players have that if a area doesn't feel like I've designed it, they'll avoid it. Even though I do not improvise what what they're hearing, like if they. They say, okay, I want to talk to this person, and the person is, you know, hostile. They're like, okay, this person don't want to talk to me because the dungeon master didn't plan for this. That's not a great feeling, and that's a feeling that you can easily get when you play the sandbox game, which, which is why I am not a fan of it. I say don't play a sandbox game. Play the path game, where you give the players an option, okay, every path is available, but I'll give you a bunch of them, and you can pick which order you go to them. See, if they want, they can ask... You know, they get to the farmland, they don't talk to anyone, and they ask, okay, trolls, like, do I know that trolls live in mountains? And you'll know, you'll roll nature or whatever, and you'll see that, okay, yeah, your character knows that trolls, where trolls live, and they do live in cave systems in the mountains. So they'll, okay, let's go to the mountains, let's just not talk to anyone, and we'll shortcut everything, and they'll feel, the players will feel super clever. And one of the biggest points of the TPK cast is to make the players feel like their, op like their choices matter, and that they feel like heroes. And this is really important. And this system really allows you to make the players have their freedom, but not feel overwhelmed by the amounts of choices that they have. If they want, they can just follow the road, and but they will be rewarded if they, if they find ways to skip. You see here, you have a wolf uh, attack encounter in the forest, right? If the players... Um, would maybe, you know, try to talk with the farmer and see what they actually know when the, the night, traveling night, and see what they know and test that against their own knowledge, you know, by doing intelligence rolls and what, whatnot. They can find information that allows them to skip the forested area, which allows them to skip the wolf's attack. So you reward the players for ingenuity while still having a path. Uh, a rough idea of this all is that you give them a, a, a not good path, you give them a shitty-ass path that they can follow, and as they follow it, you um, they will run into problems, they will run into encounters, because the world is not perfect. However, if they're being clever, and they make the right choices, or make interesting choices, they should be rewarded. You should allow them to shortcut. If... You know, they find the correct path on the first try, then yeah, you, you let them have, they manage to say, deal with the troll in two hours, and they will get super praised, and they'll get their glory. And this is just a very, very, very efficient way of doing it. 
this is a lot better if you compared how you do this in a railroad. If you play this this example, the troll and these thing, a boss fight thing with um, the railroad, you would only have, you know, the noble gives you a map saying you go here and you go there. When you watch the farmlands, you don't really talk to people because you don't need to. You know where you're going, um, and they, you know, maybe they say, okay, we want to cut through the forest, um, and you say, okay, you try to cut through the forest, but you get lost, quote-unquote, and you end up on the road anyway to the mountain, and you, do, you walk up the mountain, and you fight some goblins, and then you, you know, you just have, like, one billion fall traps that they'll walk over, and at some point they're gonna miss one, and they're gonna fall in it, and then they're in the caves, and then, you know, what happens here is that the player's choice don't matter. Whatever they do, they're gonna end up exactly in that hole, falling down in a fall trap made by a stupid-ass troll. In the sandbox version, though, you have a noble who say, okay, find my niece. Dot, dot, dot. The players are completely free to do whatever they want, and they have no idea what to do, so they go talk to people. And they have a bunch of people who say a bunch of stuff, and they have no idea who to talk to, or where to go, and wherever they go, they kind of feel like, okay, this is not really designed. Because, let's face it, people who say, okay, I'm, I just wing it, I just, you know, improvise and let my players have their sandbox, these, pl these people don't really put the time in design as they need to. Maybe if some people can handle it, like, I can't handle it. I'll, I'll admit, I, I'm not good enough to run that sandbox game. I, I don't think most people are. But... That's why here on the TPK cast we talk about design, and we design it so it feels like a sandbox, even though it's well designed as well. Uh, so that's why we end with this. Um, the path system walks you through a path, but it gives you options, and you can jump between the options, you can pick which options you want, and you will get enough options that you can feel, okay, I have these options, what should we do? You don't want the players to have the situation where one player asks, okay, what should we do? And they ask each other that, and then everyone sits there and doing nothing. It's better if you give them three choices, and they have okay. So option number one, we go there. Option number two, we follow this guy's advice, even though he seems kind of sketchy. And option number three, okay, we go back to this guy and we beat the crap out of him, and we make him tell us the truth. And if he's lying, he's we will we'll just go with option number one. And if he's not lying, we'll go with option number two. I mean, these are three options that are very very dynamically developed. Which really leads to interesting game, um, where the players feel free. This is all really important when designing NPCs as well, and not only points of interest, but uh, non-player characters of interest. Uh, what you uh, really want for each NPC when you design them is that you make an NPC, say you make this knight, uh, and what I decide is that I uh, put a note down, I note his name, I note his race, I note his occupation, and then I note a quirk of his personality, and then I note the quirk of his voice. Uh, all this to give him an identity. But, actually the most important part, I mean identity of your NPCs, like, all, not all NPCs will be memorable, and they shouldn't. Uh, some should just be there for, you know, the world to function, or the quest to function. But, what I do give him is these, in the same way I give areas points of interest, like you find uh, footprints, or you found clues, or whatnot. Each NPC have a particular set of information. Usually, I give them one point of information that they have, and then one point of information that they might reveal, 
that they want to keep hidden. And an interest, uh, other interesting thing you can do with them is that you give them a piece of information that they believe is true, but is not. Uh, and you can vary how obvious this is. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that after this, uh, how to uh, handle incorrect clues. But um, what is, is important is that each, um, each point, clue that he has has to lead somewhere. Um, but some of them maybe even have malicious clues, like, oh, you should go to this, this cave because there is a little girl trapped there. Because there's a troll there. But there's actually five trolls, and it's literally impossible for the players to survive that. And he's actually working with the trolls. He has a deal where he gives them food or capture or people to capture, and they will give him gold or service or whatever. Just an NPC with malicious intent. Uh, this lets the social players, you know, try to figure out what's what. And that is really fun because it, in the end, it comes down to making sure that everyone's having fun, you and your players. Okay, so um, the the rumors, the the, the false the, the false points. I uh, the really really important part is if we go back to our example. Let's say the um, the farmer has some incorrect information, uh, which I guess um, they they kind of did, um, but not really. They um, they had the incorrect information with that the troll is not in the wooded area. He's actually in the cave system under the mountains. However, the entrance is in the wooden area, not up in the mountains. Unless you want to entry by fall trap, which is not advisable. Um, what I find is that you should always have something there. You can't have pointless rumors, because if you just think about the design there, the players talk to an NPC, and the NPC says, okay, there are ghosts in the woods to the north. Um, and there's nothing in the woods in the north. So the players go north, they try to look for these ghosts that apparently harass people, um, and there's just nothing there. Oh, it's a forest. That's This is fun. No, it's not fun. You have to set your uh, mindset in, into this character, into this farmer. Why does he or she believe that there are ghosts in the forest? What is there? And... Why would he tell or she tell that to some random adventurers? Maybe there are wolves and someone they know got attacked and but the wolf there's no trace of the wolves and they want someone to deal with whatever is harassing them in the forest. It's an interesting thing uh, to handle, but the important part is that everything should lead to something of interest. I don't call them points of random stuff. I call them points of interest because they have to be interesting. They have to lead the campaign forward because your number one job as a dungeon master is to drive the game forward. And if you don't drive the game forward, you're not doing your job and you have a sandbox where everyone's sitting there and like, okay, then nothing's happening. I guess that's really the number one thing about the ACB design is that it gives the players freedom and it drives the game forward. Because those things are just as important, like, there's there's nothing as important Dungeons and Dragons as, as having that. It's really, really good. My favorite example of this rumor idea uh, that there's always a point of interest, not a point of random stuff, comes from my favorite book, The Name of the Wind. Uh, it's when you talk to some ignorant townsfolk. They, they're not adventurers, they don't know any better. And they say, okay, there are zombies in the forest. You don't believe them. I mean, in D&D, you could believe them, but, like, realistically, you, like, they, they don't have to be true. But what if, what if two people say that there are zombies in the woods? Do you believe them now? Perhaps you do. But 
you don't have to, really. Like, in the real world, you wouldn't. In D&D, you might. But if 10 people say that, okay, there are zombies in the woods, you know, that's, um, that's a bit more. Uh, if an entire village say with perfect earnestly, like, earnest, there are hundreds of zombies in the woods, we have to evacuate. Maybe you don't believe them because they're townsfolk, perhaps. But either way, something has to be in the woods. And it has to be a point of interest that something's happening there, something's going on. And this is a way to lead your players to these points of interest. You can give them obvious fake information. I personally, I love that. You can, you know, say, a, a townsfolk saying, Oh, in the mountains, there's a lich prowling, cursing everything it can see. That is probably not true, unless you're playing a really, really high-leveled campaign, which most people are not. Um, so, your players would go, okay, Lich is like the second strongest being the monster that I, we could possibly face. Uh, that is probably not what's there. But what's there? The townsfolk only say what they know. Maybe they heard a story about a Lich, and they're like, oh, shit, there's stuff going down, and it's probably a Lich. But what's going on there? You can make really, really interesting, you know plot like plot hooks where uh, a farmer says that something's really really dangerous like uh, there's a hundred dinosaurs in the in the forest that's obviously probably not true you would probably notice that but there's something going on in the woods maybe there's a group of bandits who act like and trick people that there are dinosaurs or maybe there's an illusionist that creates these dinosaur illusions and then you know knocks someone out and then steals other stuff uh, so that everyone believes that there are actually dinosaurs in the woods, and no one goes in the woods, and they're un like they're not disturbed. Maybe they're performing a ritual that they don't want disturbed, so they fake that there's a bunch of dinosaurs in the forest. Either way, it doesn't matter what you do. What does matter is that you have people who talk and clues that also talk to the players, feeding them information, clues about other points of interests. These points can lie, these points can be deceitful. However, these always lead to something interesting. And when it gets interesting, the game is drives forward, options can be had, and everything is like you want it to be. You are deep down in the cave. You can almost feel the immense pressure of the mountain above. You are easily outmatched by your opponent, the troll who captured Lord Iridim's niece. You can almost hear its breathing through the many rooms of the cave system. You feel the panic set in. The farmers in the farmlands above spoke of trolls regenerating faster than a man swings his sword. Your friend, Teston, sets his hand on your shoulder and hands you something. It's your own blade, covered in the amber liquid of the fiery blossom poison. You can feel the worry settle down in your stomach. Teston nods and pulls out his magical DOS loot. As magic surrounds you, the music makes you feel a rush of battle as it approaches. In the distance, you can hear the heavy footsteps echo of the stone walls and the so incredibly faint cry of a young girl. You know you have no choice. You are the hero of the scene. I couldn't resist. This has been the episode 4 of the TPK cast, the Dungeon Master Design Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you have any pointers, criticism, questions, or advice, please contact me on the tpkcast at gmail.com. The music take was taken from bensound.com. Find more episodes on our website, or on the YouTube channel, TPKCast. This has been William Wadbrunt, and I hope you see you in the next episode.
Thanks for listening and good luck on your next session.